Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, editor Christian Berg. All right, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We're always thrilled that you've taken some time to be with us. And today, as we approach the middle of August, it is hard to believe. Uh, but hunting seasons are already open in some places out west if you're chasing antelope and whitetail seasons aren't far behind and uh, I will be in the bluegrass state of Kentucky in just a couple more weeks chasing early season velvet whitetails and I thought it would be a great opportunity to get on with my guest today. I've got Zachary Estridge and Wes Brown from Palisades Bowhunting. These guys run an outfit in central Kentucky and that is where I will be on Labor Day weekend, hopefully tagging a nice uh, velvet trophy. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Man. Thank you. You know, it's funny because there's a couple unique things about what you guys do that I want to discuss today. One, I've already mentioned velvet whitetails. There's really only a handful of states where you can do that. And in the East, Kentucky is probably, you know, one of the, the only and the best known places to do that. And I've enjoyed some velvet early season hunts in the past. Um, and I'm looking forward to that. The other thing, I was checking out your website and I have never seen before. So you want to talk about unique. As far as I know, Palisades Bowhunting is the only outfitter website I have ever seen that said, we specialize in catering to saddle hunters. Never saw that before. But Wes, I know you have a tie-in with Trophy Line. And actually, it's a Trophy Line hunt that we'll be on. So we will be saddle hunting. But before we even talk about early season whitetails, I want to throw it out to you guys and say, like, wow. I mean, are you aware of any other outfitters that are like, we cater to the saddle hunter? Wes, do you want to take that? Yeah, I mean, uh, so with the saddle hunting aspect of everything, uh, our main goal is low pressure and, you know, with low pressure, we have, you know, anywhere between six to maybe seven hunts a year um, with really no more than four, maybe five people in camp. Four is usually our max. And, uh, you know, I want to grow big, mature whitetail that aren't pressured. So when we have clients come in and hunters come in and they see these deer, they're seeing them as deer should be, not these highly pressured animals that, uh, you know, are going to spook in the instant. And then, to add to that, um, that kind of low pressure, um, you know, of course we have our stands already kind of set up out there. So if people don't want to be in a saddle, that's, that's still our, our kind of like that 50, 50, but we're able to jump around in these same spots that we know are historically successful, um, without, you know, having these deer being able to, um, you know, look up pretty much in the same tree that maybe they caught someone in the past moving around. Uh, we can always, no matter what the wind is, no matter um, really kind of the, what the hunter wants to do, we're able to get in a lot of different trees and a lot of different um, uh, just really kind of ambush points uh, that allow us to be as successful as we have been. Um, now, this year is the first year that we are really, really promoting that uh, that mobile hunting, that, that saddle hunting um, aspect of things. Uh, but it's always been kind of our, our, our go-to thing in the past, so at least in the last two years. Uh, but this is our year that we're really coming in uh, really hot with everything that we're able to uh, as far as trophy line and uh, being able to saddle hunt as much as we're going to this year. Well, I love it because, you know, serious whitetail hunters know it's like keeping that element of surprise 
is is critical, right? And when you have those established stand sites, whether it's on your own personal, you know, hunting area at home or an outfitter, I mean, honestly, I've hunted with lots of outfitters over the years, right? Some really good, some terrible, most, you know, somewhere in between that. But there's no doubt that I've hunted with plenty of outfitters over the years where these stands, you're like, Man, there's a lot of Snickers wrappers here. There's a lot of old scent wicks. This is not a fresh location. My odds of really having, you know, the leg up on the bucks here is not good. You guys are doing the exact opposite. And just a little background on me, right? I was always one of those guys, you'd look at the saddle hunters and you'd just laugh and be like, that's never going to be me. Well, two years ago, I finally got in the saddle, killed my first buck on a DIY walk-in hunt in Montana. Uh, the very first week I hunted with the saddle last year, I killed two more deer out of the saddle and I've become like, uh, that ex smoker, you know, how ex smokers annoy all the smokers because they're the guy that's always telling you how bad that is for you. And you should quit. I'm like that guy who was never going to hunt in the saddle. And now I use it. And I'm like, you know, if you just get a saddle, you can hunt a different tree every time. And like Wes was saying, you can always play the wind and, and you, it's so much more versatile, but you know, with an outfit too, most or all of your customers are not necessarily going to be familiar with this. So maybe, you know, Zach, and you want to touch on this, maybe you're actually, you know, uh, integrating some education and exposure where maybe you have somebody who comes into camp, they're not a saddle hunter over the course of the hunt. Maybe they have an opportunity to get in a saddle. Maybe some people are doing their very first saddle sits right there during their hunt with you. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly what's happened. And so um, saddle hunting just went hand in hand with our um, with our kind of mission already of low pressure. And it just it works perfect. We're already set up for the guys who don't know anything about that. And so when they come to camp and, and they are then exposed to it, whether it's just through seeing it uh, through videos or through experience it with Wes, um, as we offer some filming options. And so Wes could be filming out of the saddle at, at any point in time. Um, that's how they get introduced. So from there, they, uh, we hook them up to a tree just right in the yard and, you know, two feet off the ground, they learn how to swing and they figure out what's going on. And hopefully you know, we can, uh, then set them up with a, uh, with a trophy line saddle and it goes from there. So yes, that's entirely, uh, the plan and, and the hope just to expose more people to it. And when it comes to hunt, actually hunting our own land, yeah, just being smart, able to hunt better and, uh, uh, more successful in the long run. Oh, yeah. I mean, the thing is, you know, for me, and again, this is unusual because most outfitters, I'd say 80, 90 percent, they do not want clients moving or setting any stands or going in, in anywhere other than, you know, this is your stand. We will drop you off. We will pick you up. You will not go anywhere else. And I, of course, I'm not saying you want people moving around, but I always feel like as a pretty experienced bow hunter, you know, when you when you go and travel to hunt with an outfitter, the best outfitters are the ones where it's like a partnership between you and the outfitter. And the goal for both of you is to kill a good deer and do it in a way that's not screwing it up, you know, for other people as well. And exactly. with you guys, um, you know, employing the saddles, it gives you an opportunity because I can't tell you how many times I've been with on outfitted hunts and it's like, man, if I could just move 50 or 60 yards in one direction or another, I really feel like that's gonna get me where I need to be. And boy, a saddle's a great tool to do that. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, just to kind of touch up what you're saying there, I mean, we're kind of the same way as far as wanting to make sure people stay in that spot. You know, a lot of people have a bad habit of getting down, going and checking the arrow. Maybe they can track their buck on their own. Um, and, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, we've had a lot of success, but gosh darn it. Like, I mean, everybody who gets out of a stand and goes and tries to look for their deer, me included, um, you know, in the past, it doesn't work out and we end up pushing deer too far for some reason. Um, I think all of the Kentucky in our area, all the bucks are, all their lungs are pretty much four inches more forward because <laughs> apparently, you know, right behind that shoulder just seems to be always liver, but, uh, but no, uh, to your point, I mean, when we put them in that spot, that's where we want them to stay. Uh, we do a lot of planning while people are in camp and we put a lot of, um, we put a lot of it to the hunter. We want them to feel involved in the hunt. We want them to be like, Hey, you know, a lot of times I say, this is the wind. Uh, this is what this buck and this buck does in this area. Um, I suggest that if we're going to hunt this spot, we need to be right here. What do you think? And a lot of people will have, you know, we have a lot of good hunters come in camp and they have, you know, great suggestions. It's like, Hey, you know, what about this? Um, you know, it's something maybe we haven't even thought of, or we were trying to, you know, give it some time or just him hawing around to figure out if we want to use like this gully or just this, this lower spot. And they'll go, well, what about this spot? Well, saddle hunting one allows us not to have to have two or three people to set up a new stand in that spot. You know, we can, if, if it's a hunter that we can trust and he, you know, he's, he's very educated uh, or even she, you know, we can get them out, you know, drive them to that spot and they're going to be able to get in, find a tree, get up there um, and, and hunt. And, you know, uh, last year, uh, during, during, uh, velvet season, we had that kind of opportunity we needed to get towards their bedding because, uh, they just weren't coming out. It was really hot and they just weren't getting out where we wanted them to. So we closed in on the bedding. Now it didn't work for the September time. Um, but it did work in November time. And I think, I don't think it worked in September mainly because there was two or three of us trying to put a stand up in there and cut limbs and stuff like that. But it sat there for a little bit. And then in November it worked. So I'm thinking, you know, with the saddle, um, with the saddle implementation, something like that during early season is going to be just fire because it's just that hang and bang and you don't have to have a lot of people in there. Yeah. And, you know, I really feel like we need to back up because people are curious, I'm sure. And I am, you know, Zach, I just want some of the, the basic, you know, 911 on your outfit. You talked about the property and everything. I think you guys are located uh, pretty close to Lancaster, Kentucky. And tell me about your farm, uh, the areas that you hunt, how many acres you have, uh, the, the deer population in your area, just all that basic stuff that anybody would want to know if they were thinking about coming in and possibly booking a hunt. Uh, I also wanted to say, by the way, I love the name Palisades Bowhunting because I see like behind you, you've got that PBH. Well, that's the abbreviation for Peterson's Bowhunting too. So it's like, PBH and PBH are going to be like having a merger here in a couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it works out perfect. Um, so back basic background, we, uh, family own land to start all this and then it has just grown and grown from that to properties that we lease. And, um, so we currently manage just over a thousand acres of land, not all of it owned. Um, <clears throat> from there it's split up over a few properties all along a three mile stretch of road. Um, and we are very close to the Kentucky River. Um, the, it all started originally with um, the Palisades name, which was, is tied to um, a horse breeding business that my uh, mother has successfully run for 20 years. 
Um, and so we build off of that. And uh, the Palisades, if people don't know, the Kentucky River Palisades are the rock cliff walls that line the river on either side um, in only a few sections of uh, the Kentucky River. And we happen to uh, live on one of those sections. I grew up on one of those sections. I, I That's a, a backdrop to my life that I've been, been very used to. And so um, that's where the name comes from. How do we hunt it? Um, well, I guess we'll let's, let's, let's talk uh, in 2001. Yeah, probably about 2000. I started really like understanding I need to, I can add to what we have with managing the deer. I killed my first deer in seventh grade. Uh, and then um, by the time we're in high school at that point in time, um, you know, minerals are going on the ground. I'm learning about feeding. Um, that happens and continues for another decade. Um, there is a nice little hiatus in there where, because uh, I'm the only one in my family who hunts. And so um, with that, uh, it, it was either me or me and my friends. Um, I go to college, I get married, I'm gone for a while and no animals get killed for a nice nice chunk of time from like 09 to uh, 2014, um, which that only helped. And then in uh, 2015, I came back for graduate school. I was living on the farm full time. I was there for uh, until we began this um, in 2018. And uh, then it was just, you know, we went gung-ho, did everything we could uh, from food plots to um, we're now on our, you know, our fifth year of high protein feed um, that we're allowed to do during a certain time of the summer. Um, and we keep that up for just their nutrition as well as their antlers. And um, our farm manager is able to uh, manage all of that for us, which is wonderful. So yeah, um, that's that's the kind of the pro progression of this over the last uh, 20 plus years that we've uh, had the land. Um, and we started killing big deer about uh, in 2008, 2009. And then we just started racking them up and racking them up. And in 2016, I guided one of my really good friends on a 150 inch velvet buck on opening day. And a few months later, uh, another friend on a 180 inch buck uh, in November said, maybe we should do this uh, for real. And so that's when, uh, that was 2016. So 2017, we started. Um, and that's that's the first year I met Wes. Um, tactics for hunting. Uh, obviously, we want to, um, to keep it as low pressure as possible. So we, we have um, seven food plots stretched out over um, the farm since we only have four people, three to four people hunting usually at a time. Um, this allows us to keep everybody well spread apart and they don't feel like they're pressured in on each other and anything like that. Um, you can be over food. You want to be over a uh, food plot. You can be over, um, you can be over water. We've had a lot of success killing uh, deer over some of our natural spring water that's coming out of there in a few areas. Um, you can be over a feeder. Uh, you can, you can do it how, however you choose. And so we got options as long as it's with archery equipment. Um, and we're doing it safely. That's that's the only thing we care about. Yeah, obviously, as the name of your outfit would imply, you're bow hunting only. And uh, Wes had touched on it earlier. You're really only running, you know, maybe 25 to 30 at most hunters uh, each year. And that's probably over about a total combined maybe five weeks, which isn't that much. I assume 
you know, it's not necessarily five consecutive weeks each year. And really, if you look at the Kentucky archery season, I think you guys obviously start, you know, late September or sorry, early September. And I think it runs into about February. So you're only really hunting a small fraction of the total, you know, archery season in that state. Yeah. And I mean, with with the deer that we have now, I mean, since and it's not because of me, but it's Zach's vision. Um, but once we started in 2017, 2018, uh, we really started to focus on age. Now, I can't tell like we have 130 inch minimum um, and we're pretty strict on that uh, just because we're able to show them like, hey, this is 130 inch deer. And, you know, they come into camp, they see the deer on the wall, they see the deadheads we have or, you know, this is 130 inches. You know, obviously we can't expect them to be, you know, perfect. Um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to to guide at a lot of places and I've been measuring deer for like four years now, you know, so to be within five, six inches is something. But, um, you know, so it's been that measurement because, I, you know, it's, I think it's harder for some people who who maybe aren't educated or the uninitiated um, to be able to see that, you know, nice big brisket. OK, this is a three, maybe four year old deer. But now, you know, when we're talking about our deer that we have, um, I would say we're kind of heavy on the does. Um, you know, we always pressure people, Hey, you can definitely shoot two does. Um, but it's like, there's the bucks there. I mean, like, you know, you get some people, they, they want the meat and it's like, okay, cool. You know, but, um, so I would say we're probably two to, uh, two does to every one buck, maybe three. Uh, and then I know this year, uh, for a fact that we're going to have at least five deer touching the age of five. Um, and they're all, uh, it's kind of tough right now. They've been a little sporadic, but we're looking at, you know, 170s and 180s. I think this is going to be one of our biggest years as far as bucks. Um, we just had a newcomer show up that we've never seen before. Um, and gosh, I mean, he's he's probably three at 160, 170 inches. He's just a beast. And uh, but it's just been getting better every single year because we pay more attention to nutrition. Uh, we strategically put these plots in, in different areas. You know, we have these established uh, mineral sites that, gosh, I mean, since Zach's been doing, you know, they're 15, 16 years old. And it's just something that these deer are very used to. And, uh, you know, that net low pressure is just very important to us. I rather do, um, you know, I rather do this almost as a hobby uh, and let it grow into maybe what it could be become a lot bigger uh, once we get more property. But to me, uh, in a thousand acres, um, you know, and not obviously not all thousand is huntable. Um, so we got to pick and choose, but within that property, you know, having, you know, like you said, you know, 20 to 25, uh, hunters within that thousand acres. Now, now to add more people, in my opinion, um, it's, it, we need more property, you know, so we're very comfortable with what we're doing and it's starting to really show over the last two and a half years where, um, you know, people are shooting 150, 160, 170 inch bucks, or at least seeing the bucks, you know, we've been very successful and, um, I, I love seeing new deer, especially this time of year. Yeah, it's exciting. And, you know, for somebody like myself, you know, here in Pennsylvania, uh, you talk about, you know, having a handful of deer, you know, five years old, that's just rarely going to happen for somebody, you know, in the average hunting area, you know, very, very, very difficult here, you know, where I don't own any hunting property, I have permission on some farms, but man, there's so much hunting pressure here. Uh, you know, I think you said, Wes, you live in Michigan. You know what it's like. There's not a five-year-old buck behind every tree in Michigan. So if, if there's you, a five-year-old buck around here, it's a, it's a county record at least. 
So, well, you know, to have an opportunity to travel and, you know, be able to hunt deer of that caliber, that's why people, um, you know, do go to places like Kentucky, which, you know, is certainly not uh, a sleeper state anymore. You know, I think 10 years ago, we used to talk about Kentucky as a sleeper state, Zach, but uh, that secret's long since out. Um, let's talk a little bit about the early season hunting specifically. And again, you know, it just seems to be a theme with you guys. You do things a little bit differently than a lot of others. And specifically to the early season hunt, you know, typically you think of that as an afternoon only hunt because a lot of those deer are killed on uh, food plots, which you've talked about, or ag fields, you know, bean fields, especially uh, places where the deer like to come out into a bean field at, you know, last hour of the day and try to set up an ambush there. But I was told uh, that you guys actually do quite a bit of morning hunting during your early season hunt, which I've not heard about before. So, you know, talk to me about that and how you effectively set up those those morning sits. Um. I mean, if you want to go, Zach, you can hit it up. Yeah, um, well, I would just say, you know, it kind of just builds off one of our last, uh, uh, and I'm sure Wes will add to this, but if we're hot in the morning, the last couple of years, you know, it's just been, been hot as can be. Um, we have to pick a site that, you know, we have, a, we have a means to get in there without being intrusive. Um, and then second from that, uh, you know, you better get ready to get dressed in the field um, and have your clothing be completely scent free because we're pretty, um, you know, we're very much into the, everything being scent free. And so there's a process for that. And so um, that certainly helps. We, uh, the evening hunts are, are, are inevitably going to be more realistically your, uh, your, your better hunt. Um, but morning, it, it certainly can be successful. Um, with them liking to get to that food while it's still cool before it gets wicked hot. Um, Wes, what would you add to that? Yeah, so, I mean, I'm the one who kind of came into this with wanting to hunt mornings. Uh, and I think it was a lot of uh, selfish reasons just because I just, you know, I'm, I'm that, I'm kind of, I come from just, you got to hunt when you can hunt. If you can hunt, you better be in the woods, you know. And, you know, I finally, after, after the last maybe six or seven years, I've been able to have the opportunity to wear I can selectly, you know, choose when and how, but for some reason in Kentucky that I've noticed, um, one, the technology that we have, you know, cell cams are a huge plus, um, when, you know, when you're in a place that you're able to use them. Um, so those can really help us out in the mornings. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a working farm and that working farm starts, you know, long before the, the sun rises and, you know, long after the sun sets. Uh, so that adds a little bit of, I guess, protection to us, um, depending on where that wind's coming from. But we don't rely on those things. Um, a lot of times, I would say that if we hunt the morning, it's a spot that I have consistently watched a certain buck or a group of bucks or just deer in general come in really only in the daytime. Um, I really love our, our property because it's very low lying. So those thermals continue to keep it cooler. Um, in, a, in a lot of those areas. So as they're going from, you know, maybe their main food source um, in the middle of the night, and they're going to start heading back to bed, a lot of our food plots and mineral or uh, our food plots and our feeders, uh, they are stuck in these areas that are low lying, 
And in the mornings, even when, you know, up top on the hilltop, it might be 85 degrees, it's 70 degrees down where you're hunting. Um, you know, and so strategically getting to those spots and having the access in and having the access out, uh, in my opinion, we've had a little bit more success in the mornings in this early season than we do um, in the evenings. Now, if you look at it historically, it's probably 50-50. Uh, but you know, I've been successful there, uh, with, with a buck of mine that I shot uh, back in 2018. It was a older five-year-old that was never going to hit 130, but I shot him in the morning at nine o'clock. Um, and there wasn't a deer on that food plot all, all the way up until eight 30. And I actually, it's a funny story. I text Zach. I was like, it's too hot. Come get me. You know, I didn't know the property that well. Um, and all of a sudden it's, you know, nine, nine 30 and, it's freaking 85 degrees and they're just coming into our food plot to actually feed. And, you know, I was able to get a shot on one. So, um, you know, we are very careful if it's a spot that, you know, no matter what the wind is doing, but if it's a spot, I know that those deer are always in until maybe 10 o'clock, we don't touch it, you know, and it might come down to people drawing straws depending on the group and the dynamics of it, of like, all right, who's going out. Cause we only have two spots that we will feel comfortable somebody sitting in. Um, and you know, if anybody knows early season hunting, we always try to, uh, make them aware. We are not just going to put you out in the morning because we want you out there. We want you out there in the morning because it's going to be successful. And if I don't put you out in the morning, it's because you're going to ruin your evening hunt or possibly quite possibly the rest of the week. Um, so we're very, very careful with those things, but yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. I mean, just the way our, our property sits and a lot of our food, um, and, and our transition areas, they're all very low line. And they're technically, you know, anywhere between five to eight degrees cooler than the rest of uh, the farm. And the, you know, deer really, it shows the deer really gravitate towards that, towards the, that, that, uh, you know, eight to maybe 10 o'clock in the morning timeframe. Yeah. I mean, it's great if you have places where you can get in and, and hunt effectively in the mornings, because as much as I like the early season hunts, um, you know, probably the biggest drawback is that there can be quite a bit of downtime. You know, you're almost sometimes feels like you're waiting around all day to go out there. And even, you know, a lot of outfitters are like, OK, well, we want you to get you out there early, you know, plenty of time to let the woods settle down. And um, it's so funny, like we could have a whole show just about letting the letting the areas settle down. Right. Like, I don't really believe in that. I think you can get in your tree about 20 minutes before the deer are going to show up most most of the time. Um, but point is, they just want to because they know you've been waiting around. So you're going to get you out there at two o'clock or whatever. Well, gosh, I mean, first week of September, it's still not getting dark until like, you know, 830 or whatever. So you're like, okay, well, let's see. Realistically, the last 45 minutes is when I'm going to see all the deer. So I've got about like five hours to sit in this tree and like stare at my navel. And uh, it just uh, it's just the nature of the beast, because again, the early season, right? I mean, we're not talking about the rut here. There is no a right no pattern other than bed to feed feed to bed that right. you're using on this hunt i mean that's pretty much the whole strategy you're not rattling a buck in you're not grunting a buck in you know you're not using scent you're doing nothing you're waiting for these deer to get up and and come to feed or go back to wherever they're going to lay down for the day yeah, and, and you know just to speak to the morning thing i mean it, it's the deer and on our property are just very unpredictable because I mean, just right now, uh, before we got on here, I was looking at our, our we have, um, you know, cell cams out there 
And, you know, yesterday at one o'clock, it's 97 degrees and there's four deer, two of them are bucks, you know, at the food plots, you know, milling around. And, you know, and that's what it says on the camera. So, I mean, it's just, I, I think we just are very good at our intel, you know, paying attention to these wind, you know, because these deer, if I look right now and I look historically, I, I can almost guarantee they're not coming there in the afternoon on a south wind. They're probably going to be there on a north wind um, more consistently. And, you know, and that's what we go down to. I mean, it, it comes down to, I have this, this pamphlet and I look through and it's like, okay, I see this buck, we name them, you know, give them names and stuff. But, you know, I see this buck, you know, every single time on a southwest wind and he's only coming between this time frame on this spot. And, you know, and, and we've been lucky enough that I think more so than, than not, all of our kills have been on Intel like that. You know, I'll ask Zach, I'm like, hey, man, like, I think we need to have a person right here because we just, the wind just switched and this buck has not been here since that last time we had that wind. And sure enough, you know, sometimes it's funny, sometimes, you know, hunters will be like, nope, I don't want to go back to that spot. And it's like, well, I think you really should. And, you know, and, and then they don't go. And sure enough, there he is, 170 inch or, you know, at 20 yards could have been there. But, yeah. Oh, there that, that calls to mind another great uh, Jedi mind trick of every whitetail guide in the country, which is, you know, Christian, if you want to move, that's fine. You can go to another stand. I get it. You want to change the scenery. But I'm just telling you, if you don't go back to that stand tonight, I'm going to put Zachary in that stand. And he's going to kill your buck, and you're going to cry the whole way back to Pennsylvania yeah. about that. And so you're like, all right, Wes. You know, five nights in a row I sat in that stand. I haven't seen a deer, but I'm going to go back because I can't stand the idea of Zach getting my buck. So there you have. <laughs> yep. Um, let's shift gears for the, you know, last segment of today's show and talk a little more product specific. I know you're excited. Uh, you know, it's actually kind of ironic because you know what I was doing because we've been talking saddle hunting right before this. And immediately after we're done with this, I'm going to finish is putting together a tree stand because I have to go out this afternoon and hang a stand for a particular product that I'm dealing with uh, for work here. And I'm going to use my new Venatic saddle from Trophy Line as my harness to put these sticks and this hang on stand up. So I'll actually be using my saddle to put up a stand. Um, but the Venatic is a brand new product from Trophy Line. I'm sure that both of you already have one and have probably used it. You probably had advanced, you know, preview models and were hunting in them last fall. But, um, you know, it's kind of a cool, cool product and, and I'm looking forward to using it. And just talk to me a little bit about the Venatic and uh, what you think makes it, you know, sort of one of the better options going out there for the saddle hunter? Uh, you know, so for the, the Venatic that just came out, one, the biggest thing is lightweight. It is insanely light. I think it's probably one of, it is probably the lightest one on the market right now. I think it's just over a pound. Um, and then, you know, we've been able to, uh, another big aspect of it is we have this little tab. I mean, it's, you know, it's all about these, you know, little extras, right? So we have this little tab and right on the back part, it goes right up into your upper loops where you could put your pouches. And now, you know, these people that walk in, sometimes, you know, it can kind of, you know, catch on your pants or something low. So now it brings that up to where you're almost really wearing nothing. And that's kind of, 
you know, uh, having a lot of people at the TAC events getting in them, uh, you know, they said, if I was not leaning back into this, you know, and hanging here, I wouldn't know I had a saddle on because they would stand up and you can't feel it. Um, you know, and another aspect of it is the, uh, the rubber um, uh, lining that we put on the waistband, which allows this, it to really stay up right where you want it. Now, you know, our, our covert light and, you know, the prime saddles and stuff, they stay there. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just got to move it around a couple inches or something to get it right. But once you put the fanatic on, it's just another piece of your clothing that really isn't moving at all. Um, on top of that, you know, uh, it's got the uh, no shine and then it's got the, you know, it's very quiet. Um, and really, at the end of the day, it's just like you're not wearing anything. Um, and it's it's incredibly comfortable. Uh, I think uh, the way we are able to take the um, the leg straps and we brought them kind of down. So instead of, um, you know, coming up into your upper groin and hip area, now we're coming across your thighs and it kind of gives a little bit more comfortability and another aspect of customization for whoever's going to be sitting in it. Um, but as far as an option, I mean, it's just it's it's taking the weight out of what you're taking into the woods. You know, we have our four sticks uh, like our pack that we have, that's, you know, one of the lightest on the market, along with, you know, our EDP, um, our EDPs, you know, super light. I mean, you're going in the woods at the end of the day with less than a 12 pound pack, if you put everything in that backpack. And, uh, you know, it's just, in my opinion, you know, even I have 10 acres I just bought here and I had, I have plans to use it literally all over the 10 acres just because of the versatility that you can do. Um, you know, and it's all about being mobile, you know, it's like, you know, of course we want people to, to buy, you know, uh, trophy line and, and support us in that, but it's all about being that mobile hunter. And that's, what's important. You know, like you're talking about a tree stand. Uh, you, if you have a tree stand, you can still be mobile. Is it as easy and versatile? Maybe not, but it's a tool. So, you know, even saddle hunters, sometimes we have to use those tools um, to get the job done, whether I'm in a ground blind or, you know, I can jump up in a, in a saddle or something like that, but um, it's all about being mobile. And, 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 you know, and as hunters, we kind of understand uh, the importance of mobility. So, well, it is, you know, it is a tool and it's an important tool that I think every serious deer hunter should have. You know, there's so many applications. I mean, I think the stereotype of the saddle hunter is this like DIY public land guy that's always going really far, you know, and, and he wants to use a saddle because it sheds obviously a lot of weight and he can really get in there and and get away from you know other hunters and things like that but honestly even if you were uh what i'll call a fat ass whitetail hunter of which i fall firmly in that category and so you basically are hunting you know properties on permission mostly private ground uh you're typically maybe not going more than a quarter of a mile from the vehicle um Man, like last year, I got permission to hunt a new farm. And like you talked about it, stands, like it's an investment, you know, like even what I'm going to go do this afternoon, right? I'm going to take that, those climbing sticks and, and that stand out there. And I'm probably going to spend, you know, a couple of hours basically in the woods. By the time I get, you know, the sticks on the tree, the stand set up, my lifeline on there, uh, do some trimming, uh, have that thing you know, however I feel that it needs to be, right, to be ready when I'll come back for the first time in October. And then to your point, you ain't going to move that. Like um, me personally, I'm always like people ask me about taking down stands. I'm like, no, all my stands are one way. They go in 
and they never move. They'll grow into the tree, rust out, die. You know, if it's a really good spot, I will replace the stand at some point. I don't take down stands. It's like enough work to put them up. I never take them down. Saddle, you get a new property. You're not just going to go in and start putting seven, eight tree stands up. You don't know anything about that ground. The saddle is the perfect tool as you're getting your cameras up in the summer and you're walking that property for the first time. You're making those mental notes or you're marking it in your phone. Okay, these are seven or eight spots that I think might be pretty good. But you just go in there and do a sit with your saddle, you know, do some observation, see where the deer are coming fine tune, you know, your strategy in your own mind, maybe at some point, you know, cause I'm like big, I'm like, I'm not going to be only a saddle hunter. You know, I'm not going to be one of those guys where it's like, oh, if you didn't kill it out of a saddle, it doesn't count. No, I'm still going to use stands, but that saddle is a great tool for, for the, for learning a new property, for making an adjustment. Again, just like at the outfitter, sometimes you have a stand on your own you know, lease or, or property. And you need to make that 50, 60 yard move. What are you going to do actually like pull that stand down and move it 50 yards? No, just come back tomorrow with your saddle. You know, it's a great, great way to do that. Yeah. And you can ask Zach. I mean, I've filmed him a couple of times and we've been up in the tree and, you know, if it's a tree that I'm familiar with, or it's something that I can actually, uh, I can see kind of all the angles and everything, you know, with my camera gear, you know, I have, you know, I have an A7S three I'm bringing up with a mic i got the big lens i got extra stuff and i got a ton of things and even if i'm self-filming i have my bow as well um i am very very confident that i can be set up ready to kill a deer now this doesn't include trimming if i need to but up and ready to kill a deer and film him within 12 minutes and that is not breaking a sweat you know that is me just being very methodical it's because you know a lot of people um you know i'd like to touch on this is a lot of people when they think about saddle hunting they're like oh there's so many ropes there's this and there's that and all this kind of thing i just want to get up and sit you know and i understand that like we said it's a tool um but at the end of the day like you know how long do you take to shoot your bow and, and master your bow you know like how long are you taking that and then you're studying these deer just take a little bit of time with this exceptional tool and because just a little bit of time, I think, in my opinion, it's a three to four climb learning curve. If you can get three to four climbs in, then you're going to be very proficient. And just the more you do it, the quicker you're going to do it or get up a tree and be ready, um, you know, and not even break a sweat. Just And, and I've seen, you know, three, four hundred pound guys and they just take their time getting up there and they're ready. You know, it, I mean, if I get I break a little sweat sometimes, but especially in September. But well, you know, I was gonna I, say I, yeah. We're all going to be sweating here on this hunt that's coming up. But oh, yeah. I would say realistically, you know, like I use a set of your double sticks. Yep. And realistically, I would say from the time that you get to the bottom of the tree and if you're taking your time, like really taking your time, moving slow, no more than 15 minutes, probably 10 to be having all those sticks on the tree, you know, you're obviously, you're, you're sort of putting the sticks on as you're going up. So you, you get those last stick, uh, then it's just a matter of cinching your platform, which I've got, you know, attached to my saddle and then stepping onto that, uh, you know, putting your tether on the tree, undoing the lineman's belt. There's really only two ropes, by the way. I mean, I'm sure there's more if you want to make it more complicated, but you have your lineman's belt and your tether, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, tethering in and then pulling up your bow. 
you know, maybe putting a, a bow hook into the tree and, and I use a little um, uh, am steel like gear hanger to hang my pack. And, and there's not much to it. Like you say, it's more the learning curve than anything. It's the fear of the unknown that yeah. keeps us all away. And I was, like I said, I was as guilty of that as anybody for a lot of years. Yeah. I mean, Zach, you know, he had the great idea because he's this business monster um, is, you know, we have sticks out there already, right? Like they went to hang ons or, or whatever they are, they cost you 50 bucks. And a lot of people, you know, like, well, I've got all this money invested in tree stands and that's great. Use them. Uh, but if you want, if you have, you know, on a, let's say just my 10 acres here, um, I have, you know, cheap sticks that I can, you know, put up in trees that I know would be good um, to hunt out of. And I just leave them there and I take my platform with me. And if I get out there and for some reason the wind's swirling wrong, I know that I can go over here to this tree. I don't have to put my sticks up. I can climb right up, put my platform on and I'm hunting, you know, so that's always a, a great option too. Oh, and another nice thing, again, you know, you just think about all the advantages of the saddle. Um, if you hunt in an area like I do, where there is a lot of other pressure from, from neighbors or even other people who have permission to hunt the same properties. Um, and I think most bow hunters are at least a little bit paranoid. I certainly am. I worry about who might be sitting in my stand on the days that I'm not there. Um, man, I love just putting some sticks in a tree and leaving it at that. And they're like, okay, well you can climb up there, but there's nothing to sit in, you know, unless you have a saddle too. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do. It just makes me feel better about it. Uh, Zach, how many spots do you think, uh, I mean, like extra hunting spots do you think has added to Palisades just with the opportunity of, of saddle hunting? Oh, well, I mean, if you say you take, take one, one farm that, you know, has, has, uh, just say, say it had say it had 10 stands on to begin with well now it can have 20 to 30 just based on the fact that there might be 10 tree stands and then there's going to be another 10 trees that i've gone and put stick 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 in which only takes a few minutes you know not nearly the investment of hanging a whole tree stand um and it, we can identify a tree put three sticks in it and leave um and that's very quick so yeah it's it's turned turned over threefold yeah. Uh, the number of hot spots that we'll have for any any any, any given place. Yeah. Well, and, and, and here, like, here's, oh, well, go I was gonna say here's another thing. You know, again, as an outfitter, uh, I'm left-handed, right? So all my stands are set up for a lefty. But typically, all the outfitted hunts I've done, I, I've probably shot way more deer facing the tree over the course of my life than facing away because they're set up for right-handers. You have sticks on a tree. Once I get up in the tree. I can put that platform anywhere I want around the circumference of that tree and be set up for how I want to set up the shot for myself, you know? Sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, just as, a, as outfitters, I mean, I think the one thing that we uh, kind of look out for the most is, you know, we'll go out there and try to pick trees and be like, okay, that'd be a good saddle tree just to get our eyes on it so that, you know, and we'll mark it on our maps. And, uh, and if we have to, we'll get up there in a the saddle and we'll kind of do some trimming and stuff. So we have these, extra spots that if we don't have sticks in them already or have them set up for a saddle, um, then, you know, that's just something that someone can go climb real quick because, you know, as outfitters, we want to be as quick and as efficient as possible. And if we can get in there even quieter, we, you know, so we have different stick sets, you know, like we have the, you know, trophy line stick sets already out there. We have platforms there. So really all you do is have your saddle and, and just get up there. 
you know, and, and I, you know, we've noticed a lot more people. Oh, that, that's luxury. That's luxury, man. That's <laughs> making saddle hunting super easy. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, with having, uh, you know, people coming in with, uh, that don't know saddle hunting, if I can get them to where they're comfortable sitting in the saddle, then that's a little bit more, a little bit easier of a transition from going from never saddle hunting to actually saddle hunting, because now all they gotta do is climb sticks, which they're used to. And they know their feet have to go on a platform. They just have to know that they go up there with their lineman rope and then they put their tether up and things like that. It takes a little bit more out of the thinking process. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, I am, I am really looking forward to the hunt. Um, you never really know, Zach, what you're going to get on these early season hunts. I mean, the weather can definitely play with you. You can get, you know, a ridiculous heat wave. I remember one year, I was down there. There was like the remnants of a hurricane went through and it was like a monsoon. Um, gosh, if things I've also seen it, there was the first time I ever went down to Kentucky over the course of like the five days that I was there. There were probably like over 20 big buck killed by the clients at this outfit that I was with, which was a bigger outfit with multiple camps. But like I told the outfitter that week, I'm like, I've never seen anything like this. I've hunted great places, peak rut and not seen this many giant deer getting killed. So like it can literally be some of the best hunting of the year when you have, you know, multiple big mature whitetails all doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're patterned that well, you know, just think about it. Again, you guys talked about your intel and how carefully you fine-tuned your stand locations. When, like, you get five big deer like that to all go to the spot where they're supposed to go on the same night and you have guys in the tree, you have a pile of, of antler inches in your front yard that you won't duplicate, you know, for years. So um, we're bow hunters. We're paranoid. I said earlier, we're also all optimists. Because I always say you have to be kind of a kind of an optimist to be a bow hunter because on any given day, you know, your odds of success aren't high. But right now, three weeks out, I'm thinking like, guys, we're going to experience that magic, Zach. You've got it tuned in. All the stars are going to align. And like, I feel bad for your clients later in the season because we're killing all your giants right there. First <laughs> two, three days of the season. Man, you're putting a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure now. <laughs> We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. And yeah, all the stars are going to align. We're going to finally get some cold, cool temperatures. Uh, last uh, few few years, it's just been scorching hot. We can get one cool day. And biggest thing, you know, we keep it low pressure. So there's only going to be a few guys in camp. And uh, you're going to have it all, all laid out in front of you. And we'll use our intel and every tool we have to make it happen. Well, I know, I know one thing, if it doesn't work out, I'm not going to be able to blame the guy who sat the same tree last week. Cause I'm going to have been the first guy. Yep. And, and the other thing is I hate the cold. You know, I talk about that all the time. That's like, I'm a broken record on that. So the nice thing about the early season hunt is a nice cool day in first week of September is like a 73 degree day with low humidity. That's cool. I'm like, that's my kind of cold day, baby. <laughs> and I'm, I'm excited too, because it's, it's, it's on the third this year. So uh, as far as I've been starting um, with Palisades, this would be the earliest time that I've been able to see deer get killed as far as in Kentucky. Um, you know, we were, 
we did some success uh, where we had some velvet bucks killed in that. Um, but, you know, my dad, when he bought a hunt there and he shot a buck and it was just out of velvet, you know, and he shot it on the sixth, fifth or the sixth. So, you know, we have, I think we're going to have, you know, at, at least three solid days where there is almost guaranteed that they're going to have velvet on their antlers. Um, and then after, you know, on the fourth day, maybe the end of the third day, we're going to be like, oh, let's hope to have, you know, let's hope to have velvet, you know, because they usually yeah. right around the, between the fifth and the eighth, I've really noticed that they'll start um, getting that velvet off there. Oh, you'll, you'll, I mean, I'm sure we'll see it when we're in camp. You know, you have particular bucks that you're familiar with. And if you've got the cellular cameras out there each day, you're yep. going to have picture, you know, like, you know, here's Curly last night in velvet. And then Curly was on the food plot this morning and he's hard antlered. So it's just the way that it's going to go each day. Zachary, I'm going to let you take us out. Um, tell people how they can learn more about Palisades bow hunting, uh, get connected with you uh, either on your website, social media, et cetera. Yeah, um, feel free to contact us through uh, you know Instagram, Facebook, easiest way, so social media, easiest way to talk to us. Um, website has you know your general information that that you'll need. Um, it's not easy to uh, get on the list at this point. Uh, we, we're very blessed to have. I think everybody hunting this year is, has hunted with us before. You know they're uh, they're return hunters and. Um, if they're not a return hunter, then they're a referral of somebody who was, has hunted with us. So um, we're, we're blessed to get um, lots of requests and we're not going to break our, our strategy so, uh, of keeping it low pressure. So you may have to wait a season or two to get with us, but um, we'll, we'll do our best to make it happen. Um, but be nice about it. Ask, ask nicely. And we'll <laughs> but uh, yeah, Instagram, Facebook, send us a message. Um, our phone numbers are on the website. You can text us directly anytime. Um, and yeah, we're always here for you. Well, good. There you have it, folks. Uh, get on the list. And the good news is while you're waiting for your name to come up, you don't have to accumulate any points because Kentucky is an over-the-counter state for non-resident whitetail tags. So at least you don't have to worry about being able to get that license when Zachary finally rolls out the red carpet for you. Gentlemen, it was a pleasure. Uh, very appreciative of your time. Again, I'm looking forward to the hunt, looking forward to sitting in that fanatic, and hopefully we can be, you know, some of the first kids in our neighborhood to say, we killed it out of the fanatic, and uh, we'll be social media superstars. Heck yeah. Yeah, I'll probably be the one filming you too. Beautiful. Look forward to it. See you guys soon. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.